Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the land. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the clean of heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are they who are persecuted for the sake of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Welcome to our podcast series for St. Patrick Catholic Community on the Beatitudes. This is John Konachek, Director of Adult Formation and Parish Spirituality. The purpose of each of these podcasts is to invite us to a deeper understanding of the Beatitudes and then to take a look at how they can shape our Christian discipleship. Through praying with the Beatitudes, we ask God to touch our hearts so that we might pattern our lives in a way that most genuinely echoes Jesus' message given us in the Gospels. The fourth beatitude holds special significance for us as we complete the season of Advent Christmas with the celebration of the Nativity of the Lord. So we must ask ourselves, for what do we hunger and thirst during this holy season that reveals the righteousness of God? The fourth beatitude reveals meaning for Christian discipleship on many levels. Here is what we find in Matthew. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. As we do with each of the Beatitudes, we want to imagine who is on that hillside as Jesus is speaking. Why is what he says so essential to who we are as followers of Jesus? We can investigate this fourth Beatitude from several perspectives. The first is to recognize that this beatitude, at least in some way, uses metaphor to deliver its message. A metaphor, of course, is a kind of figure of speech that makes a comparison or an analogy without it actually being physically true. So when you say that you are swamped with work, there's most likely no chance that there's an actual swamp in your office. Jesus uses metaphor often to make his point in parables. For example, in the parable of the sower in Matthew, I think you remember the story, a sower went out to sow. Some of the seed landed on the path and the birds ate it. Some fell on rocky ground and withered, but some fell on rich soil and produced abundant fruit. So it's a metaphor for faith and discipleship. So part of what we want to do with this important beatitude is to dig a little bit into the connection between the images that are presented, that of hunger, thirst, righteousness, and being satisfied. The words themselves will help us to gain better understanding of what we are hearing and how we are to respond as disciples. We also want to take a look at how this beatitude is situated within the complete set of the beatitudes themselves as well as the context of the Sermon on the Mount. How does this beatitude 
fit within the entirety of the Beatitudes as a whole? And how is its meaning influenced by the other Beatitudes? Another key that we have to help us gain insight into this Beatitude is to place ourselves near to those to whom or about whom Jesus speaks or interacts. For example, what are we to learn about discipleship in Jesus' encounters with widows or tax collectors or lepers or Pharisees? As we saw in our discussion on the first three Beatitudes in Matthew, we can assume that some of those gathered on that hillside would have fallen into the category of poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, and for our current Beatitude, those who hunger and thirst. How do they respond to the message of Jesus? How do we respond? With this Beatitude, living in Arizona is helpful. Which of us is not well aware of the extreme heat that hits us during the summer with relentless intensity? We remind each other to stay hydrated. And yet there are many, many people living on our streets who are at grave risk because they lack access to sufficient drinking water. They truly know what it means to be thirsty. When we take the time to pay attention to their need, their need is transformed into a message for our discipleship. St. Patrick Catholic Community responds in a big way each summer with the water drive. Peg Bonnert and Lynn Watson are the ones who lead this ministry and we are really happy to have Peg with us today. Peg, first of all, thanks so much for your ministry. Would you describe for us a little bit about what this ministry involves? I'd be happy to, John. I've been involved in this ministry for several years. It may be close to 10. And it each year, it astounds me how much it grows. We Each year, we set a, what we think is a reasonable goal. We don't want to get too grand and ask for too much. And each year, we exceed it. For example, uh, if we ask for uh, 230, we receive 265. It has thousand, uh, 265,000 bottles of water, that is. We kind of look at this as our signature event for the parish. It runs for anywhere from eight to nine weeks, May through June, and we enlist the help of various ministries to help uh, coordinate and collect. We collect at every Mass. Before Mass, we collect uh, bottles and cash donations, and after Mass, it's typically uh, cash that people, uh, we call it water light because it is not cumbersome to pick up. It's a win-win for the donor as well as all the helpers, and with the generosity of a local merchant, a local grocery store, we have the benefit of obtaining more water with cash because they allow us to purchase it for only five cents over their cost, which is incredibly generous. And Peg, who are the people who benefit from all this water? I mean, 250,000 bottles of water is a lot of water. It's a lot of water, John, but it's probably not enough water. When we think of folks who thirst in the desert, it's more than, it, it's well, it's, it's folks on the street, it's seniors, it's actually could be anybody out there who finds themselves without 
a drop of water. The water is distributed by the Maricopa Association of Governments. And there's many, many hydration stations throughout the, the county. It could be Salvation Army, could be downtown, uh, a uh, de Cristo, senior centers, youth centers. It goes from one end of Maricopa County to the other. It sounds like so many people benefit from this wonderful gift of water. How do you experience the people of St. Patrick's gaining in their discipleship or faith? How do they change in this gift of water that they give? John, it's interesting every year to observe the parishioners. Some folks will come up to me and say, when do we start? When we put up the thermometer in the narthex, I usually update it every Saturday, and sometimes I will have people actually waiting for me to put up the numbers for the week. And it's almost like a competition. And by the way, St. Patrick typically leads the county every year. But our parishioners are more than generous. They want to see us rise, and it's more than just winning. It's, I believe that they know that they are truly making a difference in providing water for those who thirst in our desert heat. It's, they know they're making a difference, and it's heartening to witness it. And how do you see it expresses the fact that St. Patrick's, we call ourselves Christian Disciples in Mission? I believe people take this water drive to heart and that they actually know that they are making a difference. And it's more than a sip of water. We need water to live. I can't speak for all parishioners, but I do know one incident that transformed me. It was more than likely a few years ago, and it was very, very hot. And I always work the water drive on Saturday afternoon from four o'clock to going into mass. And this one day was particularly hot. And I became very, very hot, very, very thirsty, and perhaps even a little feeling a little bit faint. But I had the benefit of having a cool bottle of water in my hand. I was walking into a clean, cool narthex and was about to go sit in a nice soft seat in the church. And it came to me that for me, this is temporary and I'm receiving relief right this very moment, but for others, it's a way of life and it completely transformed me. And I don't work on this water drive ever without having that memory. Well, Peg, thank you so much for speaking with us today. Thank you most of all to you and to Lynn for your wonderful ministry. And we look forward to beating and surpassing our goal even from last year. That will happen. God bless you in all that you do. Thank you very much. So providing water to people who are thirsting is one of the ways that we at St. Patrick respond to people in need. The idea of thirsting people provides a foundation for our understanding of this beatitude. Let's dig a little deeper into the meaning of some of the key words that are used in this beatitude. The first key word that Jesus used was hunger. In the original Greek, it's painao. It's the same word that was used to describe Jesus' hunger after he had been in the wilderness for 40 days and nights without food. After 40 days of fasting, Jesus would have been very hungry. 
Painao describes a strong hunger for food. The next key word that Jesus uses in Matthew's gospel is dipsao, which translates as thirst. It also indicates a strong desire, but this time for water. The same word was used in John 19 to describe Jesus' thirst after he had been whipped and beaten for hours by the Roman soldiers and then left hanging on the cross. Near the end, Jesus cried out for something to drink and said, I thirst. That is the word that Jesus used in this fourth beatitude. These words for hunger and thirst are also both in the present tense. What it tells us is that Jesus was describing someone who was continually hungering and thirsting. Therefore, we could rewrite the beatitude like this. Blessed are those who are constantly, continually hungering and thirsting in pursuit of righteousness, for they shall be completely and totally satisfied. Righteousness is another very important word from this fourth beatitude. It's a relational term that is sometimes used in Matthew in a way that emphasizes the human conduct expected by God. However, the term may also be used with an emphasis on God's righteousness in reference to the activity of God that establishes justice. This beatitude reflects a human longing for God to put things right. Those who hunger and thirst for justice which has been denied them include people who have no reason for hope, no cause for joy, and no access to the resources of this world. We can see here how this fourth beatitude is then a kind of capstone for the first four beatitudes. They identify actual needs of some of God's most vulnerable people. Such needs will be satisfied by the eschatological reversals that God's rule brings. But we also see from the text of the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus is teaching the disciples, teaching those who have gathered around him. Of course, in the context of the message of the Gospels, Jesus is also speaking to us. That requires some sort of response on our part, since discipleship is never a spectator sport. At the same time, Jesus was teaching his disciples on the hillside in the midst of the lost and the least of society. So there must be something in the confluence of the teaching and the experience of those downtrodden. And as Jesus is exemplifying, we can reverse our path of discipleship with this beatitude. It's not that Jesus is teaching us first and then asks us to go care for others. It's both at the same time. On that hillside, the first disciples came in contact with the poor, with those who mourn, the meek, and then those who desperately sought justice. Jesus then taught them about God's way. Putting the two together, Jesus invites us beyond both learning and noticing. He invites us to relationship because it is in the relationship that persons are fed and have enough. It's in the relationship where the kingdom of heaven is found. 
So finally, we come to the word satisfied. And how does that word fit? This last word that Jesus used in the Beatitude was chortazo. It often referred to fattened cattle. So it means basically having all you want. The animal or person who is satisfied is completely satisfied. For us as Christians, to be satisfied is to somehow notice those in need, but to notice from the perspective of discipleship. It's not just to feed someone or to offer them water. Christian discipleship means that we enter into relationship with them, like Jesus did with everyone he encountered. This encounter as disciples then leads to transformed hearts. It's not just the action, it's what happens to us. Hearts loving like the heart of Jesus, that is where we are satisfied. Dorothy Day is a helpful example of how a deep relationship with the poor can change hearts. Dorothy Day was the co-founder of the Catholic Worker Movement in 1933 in New York City. Biographies of Dorothy Day describe how the first part of her life was a hunger for meaning, for love, a hunger for acceptance, for peace, and ultimately for God. Nothing seemed to fill that hunger initially, but God was guiding her along the way, helping her to notice those suffering from great poverty. In her slow conversion toward God, she was led to what she described as love in action. Her aim was to live in accordance with the justice and charity of Jesus Christ. And her conversion that created Catholic worker houses has served and housed thousands of people over decades. There is one final piece of this beatitude that calls our attention as Catholic Christians. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst. When Catholics hear the words of hunger and thirst, we should in some sense always be drawn to Eucharist. Our hunger and thirst will truly only be satisfied with the bread of life and the cup of salvation. But this food not only fills us, it sends us forth. Our Eucharistic bread and wine gives us food for the journey. We are immediately sent forth from the table to live out our discipleship. The food gives us sustenance to be Christian disciples in mission. In this season of Advent Christmas, we are reminded by the words of Thomas Merton as to where the Beatitudes call us. Let us close with a reflection for Merton that reminds us of the coming of Christ into our world and to the life that he calls us to lead. Merton writes, Into this world, this demented inn, in which there is no room for him at all, Christ has come uninvited. But because he cannot be at home in it, because he is out of place in it. His place is with those who do not belong, with those who are rejected by power because they are regarded as weak, 
those who are discredited. His place is with those who are denied the status of persons, tortured and exterminated. With those for whom there is no room, Christ is present in this world. He is mysteriously present in those for whom there seems to be nothing but the world at its worst. And so in this season of hope, we as parishioners of St. Patrick Catholic Community want to ask ourselves, with whom is Jesus calling us to be present in this coming year? Who are the persons identified by Jesus in the Beatitudes who hunger and thirst for righteousness in our midst? We who are sitting on the hill hearing Jesus' words, will we be present to those who lack justice? Will we invite them where Christ is truly present to transform our hearts?